0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Diversity training. A lot of employees go through it. A lot of companies make their employees do it. But in her book, Diversity Inc., The Failed Promise of a Billion-Dollar Business, Pamela Newkirk argues that not only is diversity training done wrong, it can also make things worse in any profession. This conversation was a book talk at Politics and Prose here in Washington D.C. earlier this month. Find out how ignorance of history exacerbates the problem, and what all that money should be spent on to truly make things better right now. Hi, everyone. Thanks for for coming. And I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna be doing a lot of juggling. I think we'll both be doing a lot of yeah, juggling because yeah, yeah. I've got my iPad and yeah, I've got yeah, your yeah. book <laughs> and. Um, there's so much in this book if you have not if you have not read it yet actually a show of hands how many of you have already read white fragility how many of you have already read white rage okay so if you've read both of those books then pamela newkirk's book diversity inc the failed promise of a billion dollar business is going to be another puzzle piece in these two books in actually this this genre, which is very, very important. The first time I ever heard, Pamela, that diversity training was actually detrimental, was not was not achieving the goal that it set out to, was when I interviewed um, another journalist who wrote a book about women in the workplace, whose name is escaping me right now. I interviewed her for my podcast, and I was just very surprised by what she was telling me that diversity training was actually harming women in the workplace. Right. And now here comes your book that also says, yeah, diversity training is harming people of color, African Americans in particular, in the workplace. Why is such a failed business a billion-dollar business in the United States?
1: <laughs> well, that was the question that prompted my my journey um, to, to uh, try to figure out Why are companies spending billions of dollars of something that clearly has not moved the needle nearly enough over the past five decades? Uh, We had seen tremendous progress uh, in the 1970s, and um, much of that progress was either stalled or was erased um, during the Reagan administration. And then there's been a steady uh, dismantlement of many of the measures that had borne fruit uh, uh, that had begun to close the economic and educational gaps uh, particularly between blacks and and whites and then you know things just kind of stopped and yet we had this delusion around being this post-race society as the dismantlement of measures continued you know whether it's voting rights act the voting rights act or you know just you know, uh, policies to to uh, increase diversity in universities. Everything was under attack. And so here we are with numbers that are certainly bleak. And I don't think there's a full acknowledgement of what has happened over the past few decades that has resulted in numbers that look, you know, in tech – Blacks are like 2 to 3%. Um, and, uh, you know, you pick a field. Mm-hmm. Pick any influential field in our field in journalism. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, diversity has been a preoccupation of our industry for decades. And yet, the numbers for African Americans, for Latinos, for Asians are still really, really low. And so, but yet, companies are investing billions of dollars every year largely to pay for measures that have been proven to fail.
0: Well, is that our business is paying for this because what they really want to do, and I'm trying to find, because I've taken, if you've seen me do these interviews before, you know I've got the book and I've got the page numbers and (laughs) and all of that, Um, and I can't find the page number for this where you either, quoting someone or you state flat out, that businesses yeah they'll do the diversity training but it's not to actually get anything done it is to check the box it's to show that they're just trying to do something without actually doing something
1: right and here i will recognize cyrus mary who i had the honor of um, spending a lot of time with researching this book and um Cyrus litigated a number of landmark discrimination lawsuits oh, including him. yeah that's, that's- you're, uh, you're- <laughs> That's the man um, Wait, Coca-Cola. against Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Texaco. Um, he he is responsible for the NFL's Rooney Rule along with Johnny Cochran. So anyway, it's Cyrus, who I quote, who called many of the efforts by companies drive-by diversity.
0: Yes, that was <laughs> Dri- drive-by diversity. Drive-by.
1: So, he, you know, what he said is, is um, you know, that everyone wants to do the climate surveys and the you know, whatever, but they don't want to do the interventions. And um, that, that's what we see. We see companies doing the exact same thing year after year, having disappointing results, rents repeat, they do it again.
0: When you say the interventions, what are the interventions that they should be doing?
1: Well, the the case study that, that I cite um, in one chapter is Coca-Cola. What happened after the settlement of that discrimination lawsuit they actually looked at the metrics across the company everything that involved an employee from who was being interviewed for a job who was being promoted who who was getting bonuses they looked at everything and they and they they looked at it across racial and gender lines and they were able to both detect and disrupt Patterns of bias, patterns of inequities, which had re, which had prompted the lawsuit to begin with, and over a period of five years, they were able to close those those gaps. So, I mean, it required intention, it required um, you know vigilance, but but it shows that with that kind of intention, you you can act and commitment, you mm-hmm. can actually. Do it,
0: and that gets to something else that you write about towards the end of the book, and that is the whole um, when people are when companies are challenged about the fact that they don't have a representative representative um, workforce. the 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 response is always, "But you know, the pipeline." There isn't a pipeline um, for us to to hire. Right,
1: and there have been so many studies that have conclusively shown that the pipeline is no longer the issue. That's the issue that was cited in the 1960s when many of the professions that had long been closed off to African Americans and other people of color, the doors finally were pried open, and then people say, yeah, but the pipeline, and then all of these training programs were created, and even journalists who had worked in, you know, black media, who were highly trained, who were well-educated. Even they were put through training programs to before they could take a job an entry-level job at, you know, a mainstream newspaper. So the pipeline issue has been with us for 50 years and counting, and yet you can see just legions of African Americans, Latinos, and others graduating from many of the, the most prestigious schools in this country— who were not being hired at the same rates to to work in in these professions mm-hmm. in which they're acutely underrepresented?
0: Um, one of the things that happened, as you were talking about the sort of attacks on advancement, particularly during the Reagan administration, but there are also you write about this, but also in in White Rage, Carol Anderson the writes backlash. about mm-hmm. the backlash via the Supreme Court Precisely. on affirmative action. Mm-hmm. All of the cases that chipped away at affirmative action and you have a, a quote from lee bollinger president of columbia university on page 132 um, <laughs> where he um you write bollinger concedes that fear of lawsuits has caused university leaders to shy away from placing diversity in the context of justice and you quote him as saying i would urge everyone to say it because it needs to be said i think we've allowed this loss of memory to take hold and the people who oppose it to set the agenda. And he goes on to say, if anything, the trend is moving toward a flattened diversity for all mantle that embraces diversity of all kinds while ignoring the history and legacy of structural racial disadvantage baked into the educational system. Now, he's talking about the educational system, but just take out educational system and add in anything else. And this this is a blanket warning.
1: Right. Right. And I mean, he's been at the forefront of this movement since he was president of the University of Michigan, where he was named in two lawsuits claiming reverse discrimination. By white students who who uh, were denied admission.
0: Well, those two two of those cases went to the Supreme Court. Both right? of those Both cases of went yeah. to
1: the Supreme Court, and it was like a split decision. in, in one case, um, they upheld um, diversity as a compelling um, interest for for schools, and uh, and the and the other, um, you know, they basically um, kind of wiped out race as mm-hmm. as as. A, one of the tools you could use mm-hmm. for admissions. Yeah.
0: Um, I bring that up because you write about, in addition to Coca-Cola and Texaco, um, and you write about them at, at length. You go into the ins and outs of these cases that were involved. But then there's the, the, the case of the the person at Apple. Oh, uh who, was she the, the... Our sister? Yes. You mean the, the
1: African-American woman right, who, who was, was the, the chief diversity officer?
0: Right. And what did she say? Tell everyone what she said. At and this and I've
1: heard this before, so she's not the first one I've heard describe <laughs> diversity. She pretty much said that she gets annoyed when um, people attach diversity to like blacks and Latinos. Diversity can be a white man with blue eyes. Diversity could be, and on and on. Yeah.
0: D- yeah. And and, <laughs> and, and, and w- w- what happened to her?
1: <laughs> yeah. What and and what she ended up she did she didn't last. She she, she was didn't. there for
0: less than a. Less, less than, than, a than a year. 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 And she yeah. was gone not much longer right. after, after that event. Right. Um, so <laughs> we've, been, <laughs> we've been talking at, at, at the 35,000-foot level about, about this, but what is terrific about your book is don't be lulled into thinking that this is just a book about business and business being bad at diversity. You, you dive in. In the way that both Carol Anderson does in White Rage and Robin DiAngelo does in White Fragility, in talking about the underlying reasons why diversity trainings don't work, and right. it's because there are a lot of blind spots. And you write um, on page eighty-five, <laughs> um, and it gets to this this notion of the different ways African Americans and whites view race right and you write um, it no longer let's see moreover he revealed um, the blind spot that many whites left and right have when it comes to the ways of 21st century bias it no longer requires the horse tear gas and dogs weaponized in bull connor's day videotaped scenes of brutalized civil rights protesters have been replaced by images of fleeing or handcuffed blacks being shot or choked by police, often with impunity, along with the racial profiling and mass incarceration of black and brown men. Um, while racial customs and decorum in public settings have radically changed, the deep-seated prejudices many whites hold of black and brown people have apparently not. And you go on to, to give examples, but there's another part in here where you talk about how whites view racism as discrete individual, excuse me, discrete individual actions, whereas people of color, African Americans in particular, view race and racism as a structure, yeah. as a system.
1: Precisely. That
0: we have to navigate and push back against. Right. Um, I was going to say on a daily basis, but it's probably hourly. <laughs>
1: right, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say
0: so so dive into that more. Why was it important for well, you to? yeah, because I think to
1: to just talk about what institutions are doing to diversify without talking about the social context in which they're attempting to do this it's it's it makes the whole thing so abstract, right um but you have to understand the social context of uh you know. Jonathan getting up in the morning and going to work and and then what happens like all of those you know you have to connect the dots Mm -hmm. so things like and, and, and this is sounding abstract because that's why it's a book and not an article because there's so much context that's needed to even have this discussion but you know we have to look at media portrayals we have to look at school curricula we have to look at there are so many ways in which white america in particular but others as well understand african americans or think they understand african americans and until you really have that wraparound view of what actually is going on it these diversity efforts it's like putting lipstick on a pig Mm -hmm. it's like you you have to understand that we're still up against these demeaning images of african americans that were created, codified, legitimized by all of our major institutions, from higher ed to elementary school to museums, literature. Like, if you don't understand the ways in which African Americans have been demonized in this country, then you don't understand what we're talking about when we say Black Lives Matter. You don't understand, um, you know, why these diversity initiatives don't work. Mm -hmm. You have to... Like, really, have a sense of what it is that we're actually experiencing.
0: Um, You have a a quote in here from a British director, Sage, his first name is Michonne Mm Sagay, a British filmmaker, where he, you quote him as saying, People want diversity as long as they don't have to do it. Yeah. A lot of the times they want our physical presence, but not our voice. And I, I underlined it, I asterisked, <laughs> I underlined the asterisk, yeah. because, I mean, I related to that because I can't tell you how many times. Oh,
1: especially in the newsroom. Oh. In, in,
0: in my profession, oh, when, yeah. you know, it's the presence, great, glad you're here, but the right. moment you open your mouth. Right.
1: There's pushback. The,
0: the, if there's pushback, there might be little twitches. Yeah. But, <laughs> Discomfort. You know, Please hurry up finished finished talking right that kind of thing but how do you that gets to the larger issue of uh, back to diversity training so you have these companies doing this training that they don't want to do right that is box checking right and you have employees let's say this was a diversity training going on right now where the white people in the audience i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm overly generalizing I, I know that where the white people might be annoyed about the fact that well why do why do I have to do this right but then you have the African Americans people of color and people of color African Americans in particular who are uncomfortable it, and might not feel um, empowered right or just or comfortable because of their livelihood. Saying to a fellow coworker, "Precisely, here's this thing that you did or you said right. that um, was problematic."
1: Yeah, it's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it and it it also assumes that you can train people in a few hours to undo centuries worth of damage that's been done. It assumes that, first of all, where is that curriculum that can actually make a difference in the way people feel is there is there one i don't know (laughs) i would love to see it i was gonna say
0: i mean if there was one it would would be in here an effective
1: (laughs) one but um but what those training sessions have been found to do is trigger a backlash and resentment particularly um by white men and um, it's not helpful, and 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 some studies have shown that the percentage of Black women, in particular, uh, go down after you have these diversity training sessions, probably because of all of the tension that that they create.
0: I mean, just by the argument you just made, I mean, if the paper, if the Washington Post were to say you have to go to diversity oh, training, oh my god. Like, <laughs>
1: I'm sick that no, day. <laughs> right, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm out. I have to be in New York. Right. Um, <laughs> not that that's going to be any better because then that's the other job. That's the MSNBC job. Which, right. I mean, as you 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 write about Hollywood, you write about academia, you write about business, you write about journalism, how all of these institutions, as you were saying before, um, don't get it right. Right. And don't they don't realize they're not getting it right or don't care that they're not getting it right
1: maybe yeah
0: why did you say well well
1: i don't think like i don't think they're at this point they don't realize that they're not getting it right unless they're really in denial about the state of race in this country Mm -hmm. i mean That's like serious denial.
0: Well, I mean, there's (laughs) one realizing you're not getting it right. And then you bring in the diversity trainer. Right. And then you're wondering what what to do. Right. Right. It's right. What comes next.
1: Right. It's what to do. Uh, You know, the good news in this book, and there is good news, people, is that there are models. There are successful models, um, partly due to one of the people, few of the people in this room. Um, to, oh there's three of them oh I never met you in person but I interviewed him he was the global chief diversity officer at Coca-Cola oh that, you're that guy he's that guy who over Steve Bucarati who oversaw the transformation of the workplace Um, and I mean he had he had just wonderful um anecdotes and you know descriptions he, he said something like you know in doing these interventions in real time, he wanted to do, um, oh, God, he didn't want to do forensics. He wanted to do triage, which is like to actually work on it before the body is dead. <laughs> and, 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 and it was just an amazing thing. Pam Kukos, who also works with Cyrus, I mean, they helped create models that have been proven to work
0: triage
1: triage
0: but it also require it requires <laughs> as you were saying before it requires vigilance and intentionality
1: oh, commitment you are have there- to be serious about this but
0: are there enough people serious
1: well we haven't seen evidence of that no we haven't seen evidence of that but maybe it's because they don't know and if they see w- what they can do differently um i i quoted pam Uh, saying at one point people are really committed to the way they do things even if it doesn't like you know Mm -hmm. if it's not successful they just keep doing that thing Um, and and it's and and they think it's part of the intentional discrimination like if you keep doing the same thing and expect different results either you're crazy (laughs) or maybe you really don't want results
0: because you know that this doesn't work so just keep doing it so it doesn't work, work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i but i want to close i want to get you to ex- talk this piece out further um did you brought your glasses did you bring yeah. your glasses here i'll have you read it i'm not gonna read your book oh you what read am book. i gonna read um, this underlined asterisk, underlined thing here. See,
1: this is—he read this book. <laughs> I love this. So, this is how I read so books.
0: This this paragraph here.
1: Okay, if diversity is to flower, it cannot be hermetically sealed off from the cultural ecos- ecosystem in in which it is implanted. It must be rooted in a mu- mutual understanding of our past and its profound legacy. Viewing America through rose-colored lenses has prevented most white Americans from coming to terms with the myriad ways in which race continues to pervert national ideals and undermine justice. Without truthful encounters with the past, racial reconciliation is doubtful, and diversity will remain little more than a hollow abstraction.
0: So if you could give one piece of advice, or maybe two, to a a business let's say tim cook called you up and said hey you know, we, tim. we've got some issues yeah what would what if, and we need to deal with fill in the blank diversity issue what would you advise him what would you tell him here's the one thing you really should do
1: other than just like call either steve buccarati <laughs> or cyrus mary who mm-hmm. would like have created the systems that that Work. I I would say, well, first, if you're seriously committed, (laughs) stop doing what you've been doing, because it doesn't work. And then look at some of the models that have worked. And I mean, it's really that simple. Just like change course. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably the hardest thing for major institutions to do, right? Because they're they're rooted in systems, and they, they just keep doing it. But I don't know if they would invest billions of dollars in the kind of failure in other realms of, of their business. Like I, I, I just don't know. Um, it just seems like, you know, like wouldn't you just say, well, this is not working. Shouldn't heads roll? Like, like is there accountability? Like, who's doing this? Who's responsible? Where does the where does the buck stop? And um, if it's Tim Cook, if it stops with him, then, like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> like, like, what? Like?
0: Right. So you have all these people. It's a billion-dollar business. Right. You have all of these people going into this oh, known, yeah. failed business. And a prime example, and prime example not because she is a terrible person, but it sort of exemplifies just how much a demand there is and how easy it is to jump in. April Rain, who is the one who coined just in Oscar one tweet, so white. "Oscars so white." Mm-hmm. Next thing she knows, and she's not. A, and what I found interesting is that I learned through your book, she's not in Hollywood. She's not. She wasn't involved in a studio. She, she was
1: an election lawyer. Yeah,
0: yeah, she was just someone who saw the nominations, did hashtag Oscars so went white. to work. Went to work, and then all of a sudden (laughs) she's getting called for interviews. And she, you caught her saying, like, she had to bone up on film history and Hollywood in order to do these interviews. And now what is she doing?
1: She's a diversity consultant. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of money in it. And you don't, like, there are people who know what to do because they've done it, like a Steve Buccarati, in a company. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who, you know, opportunity calls, and and they can just do it. Hang out that shingle. I'm a diversity consultant,
0: and and I know this is a this is a this is a failed business. But is that a is that a bad thing? <laughs> is well, it I mean, a bad? I mean, there well, is, there it, is a need for
1: for diversity. Correct. Not for a multi billion dollar apparatus around diversity. Like, imagine imagine if the multi-billions were spent on getting diversity, hiring people, (laughs) training people. Like, imagine what could happen if that money was directed Mm -hmm. in more fruitful ways.
0: Actually, right. And that's actually a point that you make in the book. Um, All that money being spent, you know, why not? Push that into actually bring, going to the pipeline that actually does exist right. and bring people in. And not just not just hiring people. Once you hire folks, then the next step is how do you support them right? and make
1: sure that... Right. And these things, some of these things don't cost money. It's like mentoring is probably one of the most successful ways to sustain a diverse staff like to, to, you know, ensure the success of the people you've hired, you invest in their, in their growth. Like, you don't need a major diversity apparatus to mentor people. Mm-hmm. But anyway.
0: Or, or to just say, hey, good job.
1: Yeah. You
0: know. Right. Um, one last question before I throw it up open to Q&A. And you don't write about any of this in your book. I'm just asking because you're here. Um, You do write about newsroom diversity. And I'm wondering, from your vantage point, or even your own personal opinion, do you think the lack of newsroom diversity is hampering the campaigns of specifically Kamala Harris, Hmm. Cory Booker? Hmm. And was that lack of newsroom diversity something that in some ways hindered Hillary Clinton in 2016, Hmm. but focus on that's an interesting Kamala Harris because I've been seeing on my Twitter feed over the last few days, especially after her speech at the Iowa dinner, which was terrific. A lot of people wondering why aren't you covering? Why aren't you covering her? Why? Why are you silencing black women?
1: And 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 it's interesting, you know, because in political reporting, White House the White House uh, press corps is probably one of the least diverse realms in all of American journalism right mm-hmm. um, and and that's long been the case and uh, political reporting has always been you know th- considered the the plum assignment that has eluded many people of color and of course it has an impact on how candidates candidates of color are portrayed ha- or h- if they're covered mm-hmm. um, I- if there's a real knowledge of some of the issues that would um, be important to their base so yeah I mean but you know it's not just journalism what I found in this book that all of the fields that are considered the most progressive fields are the least diverse and 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 you know we can think of art museums and you know Fashion, you know, if you look at the numbers of, like, who's on those boards Mm -hmm. of the top fashion companies, people of color who almost 40% of the population hold, like, 11% of the board seats. So if you drill down on all of the fields that are considered so progressive, that's where diversity is most acutely Mm -hmm. lacking. So, yeah.
0: And you talk about board seats and how there's such a lack of diversity, but such a desire for diversity that there is recycling.
1: Right. So uh, they take the same person who's on the Facebook board and then Uber has a problem and then they ask them to be on the Uber board and then another, you know, Starbucks may ask them because they had a little embarrassing episode. mm -hmm. It's like, that's how it works.
0: As opposed to branching out and seeing who else is out there because there is a pipeline. Right. All right. All right. We're going to go to Q&A. To no speeches, or I'll cut you off. I apologize in advance. Go right ahead.
2: Hi, thank you very much for your really important book. Thank my, you. my question comes from the perspective of academia, because that's a space I'm more familiar with. And I, I was wondering if you found, in addition to the whole apparatus of diversity that you're talking about, if if other benefits come to institutions that promote diversity on the one hand but don't actually really do it and i'm speaking from you know experience of you know grants that are so much easier to obtain when you claim that you are promoting diversity or people writing papers and people gaining greater visibility and you know what what are your thoughts on that part of the business if you will aspect of well, it that's Thank interesting
1: you. because academia w- which i've been uh, i've been on the uh, faculty at New York University for 27 years. It's one of the least diverse places, not just NYU, but academia. Um, African Americans hold 4% of full professors, and that includes at historically black colleges and universities. Latinos are around 3%. The numbers have barely budged in decades. So I don't know who's getting all of these benefits from writing grants but it's probably not African-Americans and Latinos (laughs) who are hardly visible in the academy. I think there's this perception that we're doing so much better than we are because I think those of us who are in academia are hyper-visible, and it gives people the sense that there are so many of us, which happens with people of color. It's like there's one or two. It's like so many black people. (laughs) It's like so many. But yeah, um, so I, I... can't answer that question i just know that that's one of the the realms of american life
3: that is the least diverse question here this is a question though it's going to be difficult to phrase it correctly for those of us and i'm not saying i'm one of these people even though i try but for those of us who recognize the distinction between our individuality and how we are forced to uh come face-to-face with how we directly and indirectly um, contribute to the institutional problems and how they contribute to our lives. For those of us who are open-minded enough to recognize it uh, regardless of race, regardless of class, but don't know how to proceed with that Mm open-mindedness when we find that uh, we have... uh, struck a metaphorical wall. Do you have any words of advice? Speak up. Stand up. You know, I think, you know, this
1: is a problem that African Americans kind of can't fix. A lot of the issues that I write about, they're not of our making. They're not within our hands to fix. This is a problem that Only white Americans, you know, of goodwill can actually address talking to people in their own, you know, one of the things that that I found, uh, and not just found in in researching this book, but what I often um, write about is that most workplaces are a reflection of our social spheres, and that we're a deeply segregated nation particularly our social circles our churches our schools our we're just so segregated right and so that's why i spend so much time writing about portrayals because i think for many white americans they think they know us based on rap music based on you know how we're depicted in films how we're depicted you know just you know any anywhere you look and i think it, those of 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 you who can recognize the inhumanity the injustice I mean it's up to you to call it out as well I mean we should not be alone in this battle because it we're talking about just justice which should concern everyone right we're talking about American ideals we're not talking about black rights we're talking about human rights we're talking about just what's right that's what you can I mean I think every day we have an opportunity to do something, a little something, you know? You don't have to, like, march or pro. Every day we just have we these opportunities arise where we can make a difference just by what we say to someone, how we respond to situations, mm-hmm. what we say to our friends and our parents.
3: But don't you think we're going to see... Uh more examples of white people thinking they understand it better than they really do. For all I know, I could be one of them.
1: Well, well I—that's all I got.
3: Well, <laughs> I've got—I've got. I've got <laughs> Thank more. you. Wait,
0: I've got—I've got more for you. So, cool. if you haven't—if you haven't read it already, because I don't remember if your hand went up when I asked this question. Wait. But I, I think, don't think it did. White okay. <laughs> yes, Robin Robin D'Angelo. The name of her book is White yeah. Fragility. Have you read I've it? I've read it, yes. Oh, you've read it? Yes. So you didn't get... I, to me, I mean, if you don't know about White Fragility, it is a book by a white woman to white people about racism. And it is superb. It is. And I thought for sure there would be... Something in there that would be a A roadmap and a a, and a guide for you in answering in answering your question. But I do think Pamela is right. The number one thing you can do, and the number one thing white Americans can do, is to just stand up and speak up when you see something that you know in your heart is unjust. Especially if what you see happening is happening to a coworker or a neighbor. Or, or even a friend, because sometimes for for those of us, you know, African Americans, when those situations happen, it is lonely. You are at your most vulnerable, and all you all you would like is for someone an to, ally, yeah, right. It's mm-hmm. just to say, like, I'm right here, mm-hmm. or to jump in. Like, actually, like those people did at that Starbucks in Philadelphia, precisely who, who you know, recorded phones, it they recorded and exactly. it, they were telling the police Right. and African-Americans spend so much time just sort of relying on ourselves that we're not even expecting anybody to right. to come in as an ally. But the fact that you even just ask that question um, and that question is being asked around the country a whole lot more lately over the last three years says to me that as horrible as things uh, are, they're actually... They're actually a little better because I think people are tapping into their inner humanity, mm-hmm. but also how they can help how they can help their their um their friends' colleagues yeah. and
1: voices. I think it has a lot to do with social media that's documented these right. things that people never believed us well,
0: right for generations we've been saying,, <laughs> right. uh, police are killing us, and they're <laughs> planning evidence and stuff and like they're that doing and they're like it. no, no and, you're over exaggerating right. At which you you point out in the book.
3: So thank you, thank you, for, you that. for that question. You're welcome, and thank you for the answer. Thank you.
0: Now you were talking before about. Um, are you gonna? You have a question, sir?
2: Oh no, go make a comment. No, 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 uh, go, oh. no. Oh, please just in ask
0: your question. <laughs> ask your question, then I'll I, bring I, up I'm my sorry. coaching.
2: So I was just up at the University of Pennsylvania. They had a one-day environmental justice conference, and the first. Few panels were almost exclusively all white academics talking about environmental justice, right? And it seemed to me like it was a branding opportunity for the University of Pennsylvania to put out their big plan to deal with environmental justice issues nationally and get in front of what is, I think, for them a buzz phrase. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering how reflective of, I mean, you were talking about the percentages of uh, people of color in academia. How reflective that is of the type of colonization that gets done of uh, places where they think they can go, you know, make money and make a name or brand their school.
1: Well, it's an example of what, I, what I'm, I'm talking about that the most progressive fields, environmental justice, it's not diverse. Like, they, there's, it, it's almost like I think the more progressive, it's like we have it covered. Like, we don't need like diversity because we're progressive we can do it and uh, um yeah it's it, that's typical though I, I mean i've been to so many conferences over the past two and a half half decades of being in academia where they're talking about the future of news or the future of the environment or the future and it's like all white people talking about the future meanwhile the demographics <laughs> are showing that the future doesn't look like those panels
2: uh, that- can I do an add-on?
3: Sure, it's up okay. to Jonathan. I'm just asking. Yeah, sure. I, I don't want to sure, violate
2: sure. any rules. <laughs> um, so uh, at, at this conference, they brought in a person who is uh, the so-called hero of Flint and DC and the lead and water crisis, a professor from Virginia Tech, who uh, has won huge numbers of grants and award, half million dollar awards, million dollar you know things like that, and uh, they they gave him their imprimatur of the environmental justice guy but 60 residents from flint wrote an open letter to the science and engineering community saying your engagement really didn't work for us where is there a place in the united states to lodge a complaint and where is there a place to have an independent investigation of the type of engagement that's going on and i feel like there's sort of uh, people stealing narratives and voices and claiming to save uh communities of color and then reaping all of these benefits and making their career work. And I wonder also if this is, I mean, I know it's not specifically the diversity training piece that you're looking at, but it's just something that I see in the work that we do with communities around the country that this is going on everywhere.
1: Well, I think any, we should always be wary when people are spokespeople for people who are invisible. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: like they're you know the we we should always be just a little wary, like you're speaking for them, but where are they right and do they get to have a platform as well thank you thank you
0: thank you um i'm try- i've I've read so like i said i've in 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 order white fragility, and then I picked white up white Reach. rage, and then I pick up diversity ink, so I can't remember if you wrote this, or <laughs> if um, Carol Anderson in White Rage wrote this, but about going to going to an event where That you're, was me. That was you. Going to an event, and you're the only one. Right. Or uh, one or two.
1: Yeah, and what was so weird about that one, because it happens all the time, oh, and yeah. this is New York City, you know. Right. Uh, New-, New York New York city. city, the most diverse city in the world, right? And um, so I was at a lecture... Given by a very noted chronicler of the Civil Rights Movement. And after the lecture, the president of this university, that shall remain nameless, invited um, about 50 people to a private dinner with the guest of honor. And I, I'm sitting there, and I'm the only African American, only person of color, except for the wait staff surrounding the room with their uniforms and trays and I said they don't even get the irony (laughs) that this looked like a scene out of you know what he had just recounted covering the civil rights movement covering the segregated south except this was like 2018 2017 and the irony was lost on my table guests I said look at this and they were like what (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think many of us um, professionals have been in that same situation.
0: Well, not to put the African-Americans on the spot in the the room, but (laughs) just in the last 30 days, (laughs) have you been at an event where you were the only one in the room or you could count the number of us on one or two hands? Yes, and, and okay, all people of color.
1: <laughs> well, it happens, yeah. A right, lot.
0: and in 20, when I was starting my career, and I, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just this young, I'm this young kid. I'm looking around the room, it's like, wow, I'm okay, I'm the only one. <laughs> but things are going to get better. Things, you know, it's it's going And here we are at 2019, Precisely. and I'm still walking into rooms, looking around, right. and seeing I'm the only one,
1: right. And the, diverse cities, and cities where there are. There is a sizable number of people of color.
0: The, sil- the silver lining in, in this sort of sad um, story is that now when my husband goes to events and he's you know, a white redhead from North Dakota, he <laughs> goes to events and he will come home and say... I'm tired of going to these, you know, non-diverse events. There were no people of color, or there was one person of color. So I take that as a as a sign you know, of a progress. Si- a sign yeah. of progress. Tiny, yeah. but you sign know, of but the, but
1: but but just just before we close, mm-hmm. that is what I'm talking about. It's, it, you know, it's okay. People should socialize with whomever they want to, but that is perpetuating these these exclusionary workplaces because that's who you recommend for a job that's who your fr- you know your friends will recommend so that that's the it, the problem is not that people are not choosing to socialize across the, the the racial lines the problem is that it perpetuates inequality and injustice in segregated workplaces
0: and this is the perfect paragraph to, to end on and it's early in the book I'm not going to tell you the page buy the book so you can see it but you write unless and until white America including those who claim progressive values comes to terms with its complicity and persisting injustice diversity initiatives will continually fail Pamela Newkirk thank you very much for thank being you. here thank this, this oh you
1: thank you so much
0: Thanks for listening to Cape Up. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan part of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapePartJ.